You're listening to Pros Like Us, brought to you by NFL Draft Blitz. And now, without any further ado, here's Alex and Lou. That's right, gang. We are back and better than last week, we hope. We are on the precipice of the super wild card weekend. So we'll uh, talk about those games, of course. And my goodness, Belichick, Saban, Carol, Vrabel out. In the immortal words of Vince Lombardi, what the hell's going on here? Wow. All right. Well, we'll get into that, but uh, we've got an interview first. All right. I'm joined by Ball State quarterback Lane Hatcher. He is currently preparing for the 2024 NFL Draft. Lane, uh, how are you today? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Let's talk about the the most recent All-Star game that you were a part of. It's a CGS All-Star game that takes place in Texas. Tell us about that experience just in general, how it went. Obviously, you had a couple of days there talking to scouts. Uh, Describe that experience. Yeah, it was a really cool experience. Obviously, it's all new to me. Uh, you know, been in college, and now it's the uh, next stage in football. So, um, down in Tampa training now, and then was just in Fort Worth um, for the CGS game, which was a, a great experience. A lot of reps, a lot of opportunities to throw, and be in front of a lot of scouts. I think they said they had 134 scouts there from the NFL, the Canadian League, indoor leagues. Um, all over so it was a great experience and got to meet a lot of great guys along the way scouts players coaches so overall just a great experience how do you think you measured up against uh, the rest of the quarterbacks that were down there i felt really confident about how i threw the ball um you know down there it's a it's a lot of a practice setting um type of football so it's a lot of one-on-one drills and a a lot of routes uh throwing routes in one-on-one situations routes on air uh, and then a small game at the end but the focus is really on you know getting as many reps as possible so uh felt really confident about how i threw the ball there and then the game was a fun experience as well felt really good leaving there about how it all went I'm sure you talked to a couple of scouts, at least. Uh, I mean, what were their impressions? I mean, what did they want to see from you? The early insight from NFL teams. That was a cool experience. So there was plenty of opportunity to meet with scouts and uh, from different leagues and personnel. So overall, the feedback that I got was that I threw the ball well, and uh, uh, they were impressed. I felt good about that and uh, excited from it. You'll have another opportunity to showcase your skill set. Uh, you're going to participate in a college all-star game in Florida. Uh, it's bound to take place in a couple of weeks. It's the Tropical Bowl, so the weather is going to be great, and it's going to be sunny, and it's going to be another opportunity to just showcase uh, you know, what you're able to do. What do you want to do at that all-star game, knowing what you, know, you did at CGS? What are your goals? Being able to catch a few eyes at the CGS game, I now uh, try to build on that and build the momentum there. But also with the, the, the Tropical Bowl, it's more of a, a true game setup where you'll get a playbook a week in advance and have time to learn it. So I think it's a great opportunity for me to show uh, knowledge of the game, the ability to learn a playbook quickly, 
and just another opportunity to throw in front of scouts and and show them what I'm capable of because I have confidence in my throwing ability and the ability to play the game of football. So keep building on uh, some positive momentum and then um, be able to show some of the mental aspect of my game that I think plays a huge part, especially playing quarterback. Um, It's very important. So I'm excited for that and the ability to show it more in a true game setting. Lane, you mentioned that you're training in Tampa, Florida. Who are you training with? What, what is this uh, particular facility? Yeah, I'm training at uh, Cooper Sports Performance down here in Tampa. Uh, my agent, Chris Martin, um, likes to send a lot of his guys down here with Josh Cooper. He's been extremely impressive for me in the couple weeks we've been together and uh, definitely made an impact on me. So I'm very excited. I'm, I'm enjoying it. It's uh, hard work, but it's it's fun work. So I've enjoyed it all so far and training with a QB coach down here named uh, CJ. And uh, we're having a we're having a good time. We're building and uh, I think we're getting better. So that's the important part. Not many people get a chance to prepare for the NFL draft. Only a few of you get this opportunity. So take us into this training regimen, just what you go through on a daily basis and and the work that you put in each and every day. Yeah, so uh, right now in the early stages, we're still building up on it. But uh, each day we do a two-hour speed session in the morning from 8 to 10 usually and then uh, get a little bit of a lunch break and go back for um, a weight room session from one to three. And then there's also a throwing session mixed in on the days that that I throw. I don't throw every day, but the days that we throw, there's a a third workout session in there that's hour and a half or two hours. It's a long day's work. You sleep good at night. You're definitely tired by the end of the day, but it's really enjoyable because you can see progress being made and you can see your body changing, um, you know, full meal plan to uh, make sure you're eating the best foods and in the proper shape. So I uh, feel completely taken care of. The weather's nice down in Tampa, which always helps. It's really a fun process if you, if you love football and if you love working to get better. So it's all enjoyable. Are there a lot of guys at this facility? Uh, so he takes in 16 guys each cycle. So I feel like that's a really good amount just from what I've seen so far, because you get individual time with, with your trainers. It's not like there's 30 or 40 guys where you don't feel like you're getting the specialized work you need. So with 16 guys and the time we're spending, uh, it makes you really feel comfortable that you're getting the work you need, getting the attention you need to get better. And it's also great just to be around that group of guys, kind of like being on a team again, but on a much smaller level, but you still have a community of guys that are all working together and uh, all trying to push each other to get better. Ball State quarterback Lane Hatcher is with us right now. How many quarterbacks are at this facility? Two quarterbacks, me and a guy named Michael Hires, who uh, is from Samford University. And then I think we have uh, five receivers, uh, defensive linemen, and a couple other players on defense. I'm not sure of everybody's position yet. We don't have the full 16 here yet. I think we have 11 right now and five more coming in this week. What is it like adjusting to this particular group of receivers that you're throwing to in these sessions? I mean, are you still getting used to them or is it something that you pick up fairly quickly? I think the nice part is that, you know, these are all, everybody here is somebody that has done really well at the college level that's given themselves this opportunity. So the first day there was definitely a little bit of an adjustment process thrown to them. But I think um, when you have good receivers and good quarterbacks, it happens a lot quicker, but also that prepares you for the all-star games. Or if you get into a camp with a team, you're going to have to adjust to guys quickly and be able to throw well and uh, correlate well with those guys. So I think it all all helps being able to adjust to guys and still be accurate, still throw 
and rhythm and timing um, is very important. So I think being able to adjust to new guys like we're doing down here uh, always helps. What do you think you bring to the table? What are your main attributes on and off the field? Uh, I think on the field, very good accuracy. I, I, uh, I feel very confident in my ability to throw the ball accurately uh, with anybody that plays football. And then as well as just the mental understanding of the game and quality decision-making on a very high and consistent basis, the ability to get the ball to the right spot in an accurate and timely manner and uh, be a point guard on the field for the offense and distribute the ball to playmakers and, and give them opportunities for run after catch. I think those are my greatest strengths. And then off the field, I've always felt confident that I'll – I'll out-prepare guys uh, in the film room. Um, that's one thing that I've really gained a lot of confidence in is my ability through film study to develop a good understanding of the game and, and what needs to be done in order to help us have success and then just be one of the hardest-working guys on the team. If I, can, if I can do that, then I'll feel confident with whatever I'm doing. Where did this work ethic, how did it develop, I mean, as far as watching film? I think growing up, I, I played football, wrestling, and baseball, so... Every day I had two or three practices a day because of the sports I played. And when I got to college, you know, I was a four-time state champion wrestler. And when I got to college, now it was just I'm focusing on one sport. So I knew I wanted to go put in that same amount of time as if I was playing three sports. And now I would just use all that time on one sport. And I think when I first got to college, you know, I had the help of some older quarterbacks in the room and some really good coaches that kind of helped teach me how to spend that time. Initially, when I got to college, it was just, I'm going to go throw as much as I can. I'm going to go watch film. But then when I had some more time there through my freshman year of college, it was, this is how you watch film. These are the notes you take. This is what you're looking for. And when I'm throwing, let's work on some specific weaknesses and then let's build on some of our strengths and just put more direction to it and more of a focus on what exactly needs to be done uh, instead of just spending a lot of time. Now it's be really useful with that time. So I think once you can maximize your efficiency in the time that you're doing things, still put in the same long days, but just making a more efficient manner of what you're doing it. That's when you really start to see progress being made. How did you become a quarterback in the first place? Was it first day at peewee football and they say, hey, who can throw the football you know, accurately or the farthest? How did you become the alpha dog? I think, you know, growing up, uh, I've never played any other position in football other than quarterback. I played a little bit of defense growing up as a little kid, but from seventh grade on, I only played quarterback from five years old was the first time I played quarterback. The first time I played football was tackle football, and I was playing quarterback as a five-year-old on a seven and under team. So really, that's all all I've known. I played baseball and you know, I think baseball has helped me tremendously in terms of being able to throw from awkward positions and be comfortable throwing different distances on it and develop a quick arm action to be able to get the ball out quickly. So I think baseball gets a lot of credit. And then, you know, after wrestling your whole life, you know, that develops a, a toughness and a confidence in you. And, and then in high school, I was lucky to play for a high school coach where I threw for 5,000 yards every year of high school and usually, usually 50 to 60 touchdowns each year. So um, I've always felt more comfortable throwing the ball on an offense than running the ball. It's, it's just kind of who I've always been. When I got to college and really focused on, you know, the mental development of the game, I think that's when I, I really started to take some big strides. You know, like you study the, the best quarterbacks in college or the NFL, and I don't know many quarterbacks that are state champions that wrestled, 
right? You never hear that. Usually you see defensive linemen or linebackers that have that type of background. So tell us about, you know, being this uh, decorated wrestler in high school and how did that help you as far as playing quarterback in college football? Yeah, I mean, it's something that I take a lot of pride in because most of the time when you hear about wrestlers, they're usually offensive and defensive linemen. It's it's kind of rare to find quarterbacks that were wrestlers, so I take a lot of pride in it. And growing up, my dad wrestled in college, and I was lucky to have a really great coach and, and Pat Smith who won four national titles in college wrestling, and, and he was my coach from the time I was eight years old till I was 18 and left high school. But, you know, I had opportunities to wrestle in college, but I just always loved football and, and loved being on a team and loved being a quarterback and loved, loved everything that football had to offer. But it definitely gives you confidence in a scenario because the hardest football workout I've ever had was one of the easier wrestling workouts I've ever had. Um, you know, wrestling is just such a mental, mentally grinding sport. It can be an isolating sport at times, but I think that develops you mentally to be able to handle the challenges that come with football and be able to take blame. Um, you know, as a quarterback, you have to be a leader on a team. So I think the toughness that wrestling brings translates so much to uh, how I play football. What's the best part of being a quarterback, of being that leader? All eyes are on you, whether you're playing high school ball or college or, you know, the pros. What do you like the most about being in the spotlight? When you look at all the great quarterbacks, they usually have a, a common personality trait in the sense that in the highest pressure moments, you know, some people want the ball. Some people don't want the ball in those moments. Some people are better at handling that pressure. And really, that's what makes great quarterbacks. A lot of times they're judged off their two minute drives and their late game victories. And so. My favorite part about being a quarterback is that when the game's on the line and all the chips are down that, you know, you're going to have the ball in your hands to go win the game or lose the game. And you've got to be willing to handle both of those situations with uh, humility and with confidence at the same time. So I love that at the end of the day, I'm going to have a big imprint on the game and whether we win or lose and I have to be willing to take the blame or the credit for both of those. But I love the opportunity that that you get to go win games at times with obviously you can't do it alone, but you know, the pressure of it, um, that's a fun experience. You mentioned that you had a decorated career in high school. You know, you played at Arkansas, you threw a ton of touchdowns, you set a lot of state records. You had many schools after you. So why did you choose Alabama? Why did you decide to, you know, go there? When they first started recruiting me, wanted me to, to come walk onto the team. They had a pretty loaded quarterback room with Jalen Hurts and Mac Jones and Tua Tagovailoa. Didn't want to walk on to the school. Didn't feel like that would be a good opportunity. Eventually, they gave me uh, what they call a blue shirt opportunity where my scholarship would start after the first year there. And uh, went there. And uh, once you get an opportunity like that to be around – you know, great coaches and great players and see the highest stakes of college football, I feel like that's a, you can't turn that opportunity down. So um, once that was there, I was signed, sealed and delivered and ready to, ready to go be there and uh, loved my time there and felt like it really developed me at a, the younger point in my college career. You spent the 2018 year there. So that's, that's the year that Alabama went to the national championship game and lost to Clemson, right? Yes. So that was a team that had Jalen Hurts, Tua, Mac Jones. Those guys are in the NFL right now. What was the 
like to be a part of that QB room, even if it was only for a year. But it's just like, I'm sure you learned a lot about the position. Yeah, it was great because you got to see, you know, the different stages guys are in in college where, you know, Tua had become the starter and Jalen was in a in a tough situation and he handled it great. So you got to see how somebody handles frustration, somebody handles tough situations in the right way. You got to see Mac. Me and Mac were kind of in some of those situations where we were guys that weren't playing and we're kind of just running scout team and trying to develop ourselves. And you got to see Tua, who was a starter on a high-level, high-ranked team with all the pressure that comes with it. And then you got to see how those guys worked. And it also gave you confidence because, you know, you're in that room too. So you're throwing with those guys and you get to measure yourself up and see what you need to get better at. So I think overall it was just a great experience because – um, there were times where it was, you know, humbling. There was times where it really built you up because you're like, I can, I can do this too. So uh, overall, it was just, it was great for me at a young age to see all of that. It builds you up, right? From a mental standpoint, more than anything, you knew that you could throw the football, but being around that program and getting reps and, you know, being that guy in that room, it helped you, right? From a character standpoint and from a mental standpoint. Absolutely. It was one of the most influential times in my life. So Nick Saban is arguably the the greatest college football coach of all time. He's done many great things in this world, right? Arguably maybe the best head football coach of all time. Right. Uh, what lasting effect did he have on you? I'm sure you interacted with him. You had some conversations with him. So what was the impression that he left on you? I think there's no doubt that he's the greatest college football coach to ever live, but it's all just his attention to detail was greater than anybody I've ever seen. He showed up to the facility at the same time on the minute every day. He walked into the meeting at the same time on the minute every day. He had his plan for Sunday through Friday, getting ready for a game. He had There was just always a plan. There was always a sense of confidence because you knew that he had planned out every minute of his day, and in turn, he'd planned out every minute of your day because you were playing for him. It sounds like a boring answer, but um, greatness comes in the details, and, and he had his details in order. You spent one season there, then you left. Why did you decide to transfer to Arkansas State, where I believe you spent three years there? What was the main reason you decided to go there? There was some staff turnover after we lost to um, Clemson. They were bringing in some uh, new recruits and um, just looked like it wasn't probably going to be the best situation for me to get a chance to play. And uh, Arkansas State was close to home being from Arkansas and and, uh, knew those coaches because they had recruited me out of high school. So felt confident about going to Arkansas State and had really a great three years at Arkansas State uh, under two different head coaches and enjoyed being back home and had two really good years to start my career at Arkansas State in the third year. Had some ups and downs with the new coaching staff, and that's the way it goes when there's a lot of turnover and uh, a lot of new guys coming in. But uh, overall, loved my time at Arkansas State. So you've been a, a well-traveled quarterback. We mentioned Alabama for a year, three years at Arkansas State. Then you went one season at Texas State, and this past year was at Ball State. What did you learn about yourself through this football journey, for, through these different experiences and going to different colleges? Uh, what did you take away from that? It was hard because you're meeting new people and you're moving and you're trying to figure out each place because every everywhere is different but I think what was great for me is it, it taught me to be able to 
become close with teammates quickly. It taught me how to become a leader on a team when I hadn't been there for a while. It taught me how to learn new playbooks, which is very important. So I think my knowledge of the game has grown exponentially because I've played in a lot of different offenses under a lot of different play callers. So the ability to learn a playbook isn't a problem for me anymore. I have a method for how I learn a playbook and the ways that um, I prepare for a game. And so you take the good from every coach you have or every player you have and you try to take that in and then leave out the bad and I think uh, that developed me because it it taught me to adjust and adapt to uh, every situation. How tough was this year for you? In your mind when you transferred to Ball State you saw that a little bit differently right? What did you learn from this year? Yeah you know I, uh, I had a uh, some elbow issues from the previous season. I get to Ball State and did well in spring ball and did well in fall camp and got named the starter for the game. And then, you know, elbow issues held me back a bit to where I just wasn't uh, maybe throwing the ball the same as I had in the past. You know, I could still throw it, but some accuracy had been lost because of some pain in my elbow and lost some zip on the ball. So had to take some time off from throwing and really cut back on my throwing and now, you know, my elbow's healthy and I feel good. So, you know, I was just happy to be at Ball State and happy to be a part of a team with, with a great group of guys and coaches and um, obviously didn't go the way I wanted it to go. Part Some things are out of your control with my elbow and, and uh, obviously we didn't win as many games. Whether I'm playing or not, you always want to you always want to be on the winning team. So overall, it was a, it was still a good experience for me to learn how to handle some adversity. This was the first time I'd ever had any type of injury in playing football. It's the first time I was being held back by my body. So, but it's also great now being being healthy again and feeling good to go that I can I can I still have confidence in who I am as a football player. So, what was the main thing that you needed? Just rest? I mean, nothing else. I mean, you didn't have surgery, right? You. You, you just healed basically you you had some rest out there and now you're you're feeling 100 percent healthy i had a overuse type of injury in my elbow i'd thrown six days a week for the last seven years eight years and um <laughs> the elbow needed a little time off i had some small tears in my flexor tendon in my elbow but that's not a surgery injury that just you just need some time off to let it heal it's uh and uh i feel good now and i'm ready to go who was the one coach that had a lasting effect on you? Maybe it's a quarterback's coach. Or maybe it's an offensive coordinator at all those schools that you've been at. Who is the one guy that really stood out to you and, and why? It, two guys come to mind as soon as you say that. Uh, the first being uh, Keith Heckendorf, who was my offensive coordinator and quarterback coach at Arkansas State for three years. Uh, who I had him under two different head coaches. And, uh, you know, I think... When I first got to Alabama, they, they taught me how to watch film. And then when I got to Arkansas State, he took that to another level where he taught me how to understand defenses and how to really be a mental master of the game. And uh, we had two really great years where we were, I believe, top five or ten offenses in the country. And we were doing some really special things. It was awesome playing for him. And I think that three years at Arkansas State is where I put, took the biggest leaps and growth of as a football player and then at Texas State my head coach who was also the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach Jake Spavital he really let me build a lot of confidence in me and gave me a lot of input in the offense and helped me to you know really grow as a player and I probably enjoyed football more than I've ever enjoyed football when I was playing for him just because of the relationship we had and and the confidence we had in each other. 
If you can pick one quarterback that you admire from afar, like an NFL quarterback, maybe it's a current player or maybe it's somebody that has retired, who is the one NFL quarterback that you've always looked up to? The one I've always looked up to since I was a little kid is the greatest one to ever touch a football, and that's Tom Brady. I mean, what else can you say about him? It's almost... You wouldn't believe it if it was just a movie, what he's done in his career. And then now when I turn on the TVs each week, it's uh, Brock Purdy just because, you know, you see his story. I've followed him since his freshman year at Iowa State because we're, um, I believe we're the same age. Seeing him from afar, I used to always like watching Iowa State's offense because I thought they did some really cool things. And then kind of just keep up with him from afar. And now to see his story with what he's doing in the NFL and the consistency at which he's playing with and the level-headedness at which he's playing with and just the same mentality it seems like a unshakable guy that's somebody that i love watching today and then obviously tom brady because he's the greatest to ever do it well speaking of tom brady his former college team just won a college football championship you know they went unbeaten and they they beat the huskies last night i'm sure you watched the game give us your reactions i mean what did you think of it it was a great game to watch i was uh I did expect Washington to score some more points, I think, like the rest of the country did. You know, Washington had some a few missed opportunities here and there, and then um, Michigan had some big explosive plays to start the game. But overall, you know, I think it was just a clash of two styles of play, and, and it was and it was kind of cool to see the old-school style of football with Michigan running the ball downhill. I think, you know, they only threw the ball 18 times, if I'm correct. and uh, But it was cool to see just an old-school mentality versus uh, – new school modern throw the ball around everywhere and not that one's better than the other but you know on that night michigan was um so it was cool to see but always love watching big games just to see how people handle high pressure moments all right lane before we get out of here i'm gonna put you on the spot you're gonna be watching the nfl playoffs just like everyone else who do you think wins it and why i think the san francisco 49ers because it's hard to find a flaw anywhere on their team i think Brock Purdy's playing unbelievable. I think their weapons are great with McCaffrey and Kittle and Brandon Ayuk and Debo. Uh, it's hard to hard to argue against that. They've got a great offensive line with Trent Williams and then Kyle Shanahan calling plays is is beautiful when they, when they're in uh when they're in rhythm and they're going they get to play their style and then their defense is solid everywhere too. So um with Bosa and all those guys running around so I love watching them. Uh, it, it'll be interesting to see. I think, you know, they've got all the advantage being the number one seed and everybody has to come play them at home. So definitely rooting for them and, and hope uh, Purdy can get one out, get one done. I'm glad to hear that, Lane. You know why? I'm a 49ers fan. There you I, go. I have been ever since the, the Joe Montana and Steve Young days, okay? And yeah. I'm glad that we found a quarterback that, that kind of matches up to those, you know, great quarterbacks right. out there. This was Lane Hatcher, a quarterback from Ball State that is preparing for the NFL draft. Good luck with that, Lane. Thank you. And thank you for being on the show. We appreciate it. Great job there, Alex, uh, with the quarterback, uh, Lane Hatcher. Uh, the whole Saban thing, his connection, how did that go? Yeah, Lane Hatcher spent a year at Alabama, and he gave me a lot of great insight about Nick Saban and what made him so successful. It's He talked about just being you know, so detail-oriented that he had every part of his day planned out, and he felt that that was the number one thing that made 
Coach Saban so great. So I really enjoyed that. We had the interview before the retirement announcement, obviously. But <laughs> yeah. I, just, timing is everything, my friend. <laughs> you just never know. So I just I really enjoyed that, you know, speaking to him about it. Yeah, that's cool. What made that program great and what made Nick Saban so immortal. What do you think about it? I mean, obviously it was shocking to see uh, Nick Saban move on. I, I don't think anybody saw that coming because he's like the most energetic 72-year-old out there. Well, I think the other guy that left might have that title in Pete up in Seattle. You know, it was just one of those things because it was just like the sequence of events. It was, you know, we typically record on Tuesdays. Today we're recording on a Thursday. And I guess it worked out well because all these other steps and other blocks and other uh, whatever, they, they kind of fell into place. And it's like, wow, you've got icons just stepping away, being asked to leave, I guess, for lack of a better term. Because at first, when the Carol News came out, it was like, okay, because he was all fired up, you know, like the closing press conference you know, after the player, you know, they do the exit interviews, all that stuff. And he's just, he was just peaked. And then all of a sudden, whatever, a couple of days later, it's like, wow, they're, they're parting ways. He's going to be an advisor. Like he's not going to be an advisor, but anyway, but it was like, and it was like, bang, bang, the Vrabel thing. That was a surprise. And then, yeah, like, I mean, the Saban thing, then it's like, you know, you almost became numb to it. It's like, oh, okay. Who else? Whatever icon is walking away. Uh, arguably, you know, both guys, the greatest at their previous place at Alabama, resurrected that program and took it to heights that it hadn't seen before. Uh, I guess arguably, you know, some of the old folks uh, wax poetic about the bear, Bear Bryant. But uh, what Saban did in this era is, you know, probably never see it again, especially with, uh, you know, 12-team playoff comments. So just uh, kind of amazed, uh, waiting to see what's next. I think Saban kind of did it on his terms. Like you said, real quiet under the radar. Uh, I think he had signed an extension not too long ago. So you thought, you know, he was going to stick around. Uh, Maybe... Just the 24-7, 365 of uh, dealing with NIL, transfer portal, recruiting, re-recruiting your players just got to be a little too much. But, uh, yeah, just wild that these all these icons, I guess, of uh, coaches, uh, just it just like seemed like it happened in 10 minutes. And it, it just you, you can't make this stuff up. It's amazing because, I mean, when Belichick and Saban, they coach together. With the Browns, right? He was his defensive coordinator. So the fact that they walked away from their respective teams where they had their most success, Saban at Alabama and Bill Belichick with the Patriots, in a matter of 24 hours, Lou. Nick's uh, walking away was actually walking away. He made that decision. Belichick, I don't think he wanted to leave. I think over the last few days, uh, conversations with the Crafts, I think they both sides probably had things that they wanted to accomplish and what they needed to fix. And I don't think they were able to bridge the gap. He's actually talking to the press right now as we speak. Uh, be interesting to, to watch that uh, a little bit later to see what he has to say. I'm sure it's just going to be all very waxing poetic, I guess, about uh, the years there in New England and the, the 
the championships and the players, the, the great players that, that he was able to coach and develop. And uh, obviously, you know, I would imagine Tom Brady's name is going to come up a lot. I don't think it was Bill's first choice was to was to separate or whatever, whatever, the, however you want to say it. I don't want to say it was a firing, but I think uh, that's at the end of the day. I think that's what, what it was there. Yeah, Saban, I think, just retired. What's the best job for Bill, Lou? I mean, we've kind of debated this. I, I, I have say, no idea. I say Los These Angeles, guys, he's 72 I, years old. If you're the gonna best go candidate that, out if, there, if, Lou. If you're going to go that route, I think Pete Carroll would be a better fit with the Chargers because, one, he is revered in that market. Again, I mean, I don't think there's a more energetic – in tune with players coach out there it depends because that would be like a ready-made situation you don't have to sell them on the market because bill that would just be like a clunky transition i think i it just he just doesn't fit you know guy on the beach pete's i think has a house in manhattan beach still i mean that he's a california dude i don't know if he was born there but it's that's his vibe so I think if you were going to go with an older coach, established guy, you know, pelts on the wall type thing, I think Pete would be a better fit in L.A. than Bill. Belichick, I know it's hard because he just kind of it's kind of his way or the highway. And I don't know if any of these owners are ready to accept that. You know, some of these places have a structure in place with a GM and everything else. And I don't know that that Bill's going to want to go somewhere and have to answer to anyone really outside of the owner. This is going to be a tough one. I don't know. I wish I could say I'm looking. There's eight openings right now. And the biggest upset is that Chicago's not one of them. <laughs> Right. I mean, all these I mean, you got like these icons of coaching, you know, Vrabel, who's a made man. It seems to be in the league. I mean, it, it's almost like he's going to be ordained the new coach in New England. I don't know if he wants it, but I would imagine there's a lot of close ties there. And during his bye week this past season, he goes to New England, puts on the red jacket has conversations and sat in the box with the crafts. I don't know how that played in Tennessee. I don't know if that had anything to do with him being let go with years on his contract and whatever. God, I wish I could answer your first question, Alex. I don't know. Washington, maybe. And that's just because it's, I guess it's the oldest of the franchises that is open but you've got Josh Harris that's kind of taken a whole different approach to this. I mean, he's like put together this committee, Myers, that ran the Golden State Warriors for years and obviously did that really, really well. Uh, I think uh, Rick Spielman is on it. So and Magic, for, because he's a you know minority owner uh, in terms of his stake in the team. This is a tough one. I don't know what the market is. You know, it, Arthur Blank. You know, maybe just because their proximity and age, and that he wants to win right away because of his age. Maybe that's you know as far as his market. But in terms of what Bill wants. I would think he wants to run the show. All right, Lou. I've got my little crystal ball out right now. All right. Well, I'm yeah, glad so, I mean, somebody should. Yeah. I mean, somebody's got to do it, right? I think the more I thought about it, I've been pushing this Belichick, San Diego Chargers, Los Angeles Chargers narrative for like the longest time. But 
I feel like the best fit for Belichick would be Washington. Because Washington is trying to rebound to this new ownership from the whole Daniel Snyder situation. It just got messy out there. And I think they're just going to offer Bill Belichick the position to come and coach out there. Whoever the GM is going to be, I think it's going to be a collective endeavor. I mean, they're just Myers, Spielman, Belichick. I think they're going to work well together. So I think that would be the, the best place for him because you have the number two overall pick. So you're going to get the quarterback that you want, or at least the leftovers that you want, but it's not too shabby whether you get the number one pick or the number two pick in this draft. Both guys are deserving, right? And then I think Washington is just a total rebuilding job, right? And that's what Bill would probably want. He would want to put his own stamp on there. I mean, the fact that Sam Howell showed some progress, but then he took a step backwards in the second half of the season. So I think they have to get a quarterback at number two. You don't get that chance every year. You get that maybe once every 10 years. You get that top three pick, and you have a chance to pick a really good quarterback. Right. And then you Bill, don't have to, you don't have to give up anything to get to that spot like right. they did with RG3. With RG and, then, right? and then I think they have some playmakers on the outside as far as wide receivers are concerned. And then all Bill Belichick is going to have to do is just kind of rebuild that offensive line and put his stamp on that defense. And I think Washington would be able to do pretty well in that division. I mean, it's a tough division. You've got the Cowboys. You've got and Philly. We, I get it. But I don't think he's scared of that. All right? I don't think we, he's, we all know who the offensive coordinator is going to be. Yeah, we, we know who your the offensive fa- coordinator your favorite is. Guy. My favorite guy. Of course he's going to be the offensive coordinator. He won't be Josh Eric Mc- Bieniemy. I'll McDaniels, tell you Daniels, baby. No, it will not. <laughs> Nothing against EB, but I just, it's, you know, I mean, that's Bill's guy. I think it's kind of the only job that Josh McDaniels has shown that he's really, really good at. I think Vrabel to the you Patriots think? is a done deal. I do. I just think like the timing of the whole thing. The Titans let him go, and then yeah. we get this news about Bill Belichick. I think Vrabel to the Patriots, that's like a 99% chance of that happening. Because as much as they love yeah. Gerard Mayo, I, I just think that you know Vrabel comes with a higher pedigree. Well, Vrabel, he's had success. Well, one, he's been, he's been there, done that, and he's not come from under the Belichick cape or cloud or whatever you want to call it he played for him but he kind of made his own bones in coaching you know with the texans on the defensive side of the ball and then what he's done in tennessee with you know not always the greatest talent the team is always ready to play the team always plays play their asses off hell that last game against jacksonville now you can say what you want about jacksonville collapsing but he went in with a short deck and he beats them on the last day of the season when they had nothing to play for. I think, yeah, I mean, they would be lucky to get him. I'm sure he's getting eight phone calls here at least, you know, from all these, from all, well, seven. I don't think Tennessee's going to be calling him back. He had to just be, I think, from the time they traded A.J. Brown, I mean, it, it just seemed like that they kind of pulled the rug out from under him and from that point moving forward, it, it just became a fractured relationship. But Adam's daughter kind of running the show now. Uh, maybe she just wants to like make this in her own image. I don't know, but that just seemed odd. That would, I think to me, that was actually a bigger shocker than uh, certainly Carol. Belichick, you know, again, you've been here, we've been talking about it for weeks. 
and you hear, you know, all the different stories coming out and there was rumors. Okay. But Vrabel getting get like kind of the ax or shown the door. That to me was a kind of the biggest uh, head scratcher, you know, just kind of like, what the hell? What? Who are you going to get better? <laughs> Seriously. Well, let me play a little devil's advocate here, Lou. The past two years, the Titans haven't been very good. Derrick Henry is old. Ryan Tannehill has got injuries. He has well, regressed. Henry... Vrabel hasn't been a good coach the last couple of years. Say what you want, but he hasn't won. All right? I mean, it, it comes down to making it to the playoffs. You know, by having a winning record, you play in a division that stinks, Lou. You still, it, it still stinks to this day. With all due respect, because I mean the Jaguars. Well, a couple of years ago, a couple, a few years ago, they were the number one seed. You know, I get it; they didn't win in the playoffs. They he did take the team into Baltimore when they were the number one seed, and they won a game there. They went to the AFC Championship game. He's been in the playoffs on a fairly regular basis. They again, the the quarterback position hasn't worked out and yeah you can just look at it in a vacuum and say okay your record is this you didn't do this so you're not a good coach I don't believe that for a second I believe he's a great coach I think players play for him I think anybody that plays for him raves about him anybody you talk to or hear about talking to him around the league sings his praises there's got to be something there. I, I don't think it's just all smoke and mirrors. But the fact is, the Patriots or any other team will be lucky to have Vrabel on board. And I think the Pats are going to sign up on it. I love your connection with Pete Carroll, by the way. In California, it, it seems like a perfect spot. But I think it's going to be Harbaugh. I think it's going to be Jim Harbaugh. Even though you always state, it's you know, Chargers never pay anyone. They're cheap. They're not going to do, do it. I think they're going to do it differently this year. And Harbaugh, and Harbaugh wants the job. I think he would he would certainly be the favored choice because, one, he is like 10 years younger than Pete. And, and again, it's just a special circumstance here that Carroll would have a shot just because of his, I guess, standing in that community, what he did at USC and also with a young team because they're going to have to rebuild the defense, but you've got a quarterback in place. So I think that would be, you know, if they had to make a choice, it's either Harbaugh or Carroll. That I think would they'd be in the best position. If they had to make a choice of those two, I think they would be fine either way. I would probably Harbaugh just, again, I'm looking at the age. I don't want to discriminate because of that. Will he finish out the five or six year contract they give him? That's the thing that, that scares me a little bit. Yeah, Harbaugh certainly would be the first choice. And the rest of them will be coordinators. Now, the coordinators, they can't hire any of those guys until the divisional round of the playoffs. Those guys can't even interview. So these people, that are, guys that have been fired, have a big uh, head start, if you will. The big coordinators out there, you know, Dan Quinn, I think this is the year. He is going to take one of these jobs. you think it would just be a natural going back to Seattle. He, you know, right. That would just be perfect. But maybe they go offense. You know, they, they need a quarterback. They need a new leader, if you would. I don't know that you know Geno can only get them so far. be interesting to see, but you know, Quinn – 
uh, Ben Johnson, McDonald from Baltimore, certainly. I mean, uh, again, he's a really young dude, but hey, maybe he blows them away in, during the interview process. And of course, his, his name is up there. Uh, Raheem Morris's name is getting back out there. We'll see about Eric Bieniemy. I, I don't know if the ship has sailed for him and he's just kind of all the interviews he's been on, they just... Maybe he's just too abrasive, a little too in your face. It already has been very interesting. I wonder if anybody else gets like once these other organizations see who's available and they look at their coach. What if you know Tampa loses on Monday night to Philadelphia? Does Tampa just sit there and say, hey, are we good with Todd Bowles? Or what about these other guys? Wouldn't you put a call into Vrabel or Pete or Pittsburgh? You know, maybe, I mean, there's been kind of, unrest around here maybe you know tomlin just walks away on his own because he's been there for so long kind of wants to maybe a new start freshen things up the steelers might want to do that i doubt it they would never i don't think they'll ever fire him yeah it should be interesting to see if any other teams make a move once they see who's available it depends on you know who loses in the in the wild card round because if right. you know if like the Bills lose or the Bucks lose, what if I Dallas those, loses loses to Green Bay at home? You never know. You never know. And even though that Mike McCarthy has had a really good run as far as those three seasons in the regular season, but you know Jerry wants results. He wants those playoff victories. He wants to get back in the Super Bowl, which he hasn't been able to do. So Mike yeah. McCarthy could be gone as well if if it doesn't go well in this opening round. But I think it's the be rest of them are fairly safe. Sirianni, I don't know. They'll do a knee jerk, uh, you know, after the whole Doug Peterson thing. All all bets are off. You know, you went to the Super Bowl last year, playoff team. The wheels seem to have come off. Now if they don't beat Tampa. I mean, granted, it's a road game. They're favored, though. That could be an interesting one to to keep an eye on. Well, let's talk about this wild card round. Let's go with the Eagles versus the Bucks. That was my transition, Alex. Thanks for uh, come on. I mean, who you got? Thanks for jumping in. I think Philadelphia is going to turn. You know, going to pull it together for that game at least, just because Tampa. Okay, they've won some games, and I get it. It's a whole new season or whatever. But Philadelphia, I think, has so much more talent. It's just not together. I don't know that you can flip a switch. And I guess we can talk about that when we talk about the Miami Chiefs game. I think I'm going to stick with Philadelphia just because I don't trust Baker quite yet. I get it. I mean, I look at that record and who the Bucks have beaten while they've gotten the hot. They've beaten the Vikings, the Bears. The Saints, the Titans, the Panthers twice, Falcons, and the Jaguars. The only win that you give them credit for is the Packers because Green Bay snuck in there as the seventh seed. So as far as beating the good teams, the Bucks haven't done that. They've no. beaten mediocre teams. They've beaten bad teams, right? But you know what? They're at home, Lou. This isn't Philly. And the way Philadelphia has collapsed here, I mean, they've really collapsed after that 10-1 and start. It's been horrendous. Factor in these injuries, right? Jalen Hurts suffered a finger injury last week. A.J. Brown is down with the knee. It seems like he's going to play. Then you've got Devontae Smith. He's also nursing, you know, an ankle injury. So the injuries as well. So I think both teams are going to be able to put up the points. 
Because Eagles defense has struggled, especially in the secondary. I mean, they've been atrocious. They've given up, I think I've seen a stat, they've given up like over 30 points per game in these last like six games that they haven't been good at. Yeah, And then you factor in the Bucks receivers, right? You've got Mike Evans, Chris Godwin. And I think the Eagles are also going to be able to exploit the Bucks secondary. And, and the Bucks are blitz happy. I mean, that's something that they live and die by. I mean, that's something that they've used this season, like almost like Brian Flores-esque. You know, Tampa is just blitzing everybody, it seems like. And the Eagles are going to be able to take advantage of that with their, you know, wide receivers if they do play. I'm going to go with the Bucks here. I think that they pull this out. It's going to be a really close game. You can't discount this collapse by the Eagles. You can't say it's not like they have a week off or something like that. You can't discount the fact that they've just fallen off and played horribly these past six, seven weeks. It's just been a total collapse. And I don't think that's yeah. something that you can just turn on the switch and say, hey, it's playoff time. We went to the Super Bowl last year and we played great last year. And that's not how it's done. So I just I look at the entire picture. I look at the Bucks who have been hot. You know, they've won like five of the past six games and the Eagles who have just fallen off the face of the earth so the fact that it's in tampa i think gives them an advantage i wish the bucks ran the ball a little bit better because you know the eagles are susceptible there but i think they will still be able to run it i think baker is going to be able to use that play action pass baker didn't win a playoff game with the browns that one year when they went to the playoffs so i, I give them credit for that i'm going with mayfield and the bucks here low yeah, I, I think Philadelphia, this is probably the only matchup that I would favor them in as far as in the NFC. If they'd have been playing any, probably any, even the Packers, I, I just because the Packers are, I don't want to say that they're like extremely hot. I mean, you can go down their schedule and look and see who they've beaten. And it hasn't been a great cast of characters, but Jordan Love is on a little bit of a roll. The vibe of the team is almost like they're they're playing with house money such a different vibe than when Rodgers was there the last couple of years where it just seemed like everything was about Aaron. Like, like it seems to be all the time, but love, I think about halfway through the season, I think it, it just kind of, you could just see his, his body language. Uh, he is kind of settled into his role as the leader and his play is sh- has really shown and really like, I don't say skyrocketed, but certainly is at the level of a starting quarterback in the NFL. And you can certainly, you know, win games with this guy. And I'm sure they could probably win playoff games, and they will while he's there. Uh, Will they win this week? I don't know. They're in Dallas, another, you know, iconic-type matchup. You know, two huge brands from the NFL going all the way back to, I guess, the Ice Bowl. There was another game that was played in the cold <laughs> before this weekend, uh, you know, for you Miami fans that are bellyaching about what the weather's going to be like in Kansas City. Yeah, this is going to be great just to see, you know, what Jordan Love does with virtually the same team that Aaron Rodgers had or that he couldn't win with these young receivers. And I get it. They're a year older, but they also brought in a couple of new kids, Dontavian Wicks, Jaden Reed, 
Jaden Reed has just really come on. That's an interesting one to me. I think they do have a shot in this game. I might lean towards taking the points here. I don't know that I can call an outright Green Bay win because Dallas plays so well at home. I think Dallas will win, but this is going to be huge for, I mean, I think it's the overall, the youngest roster to be in the playoffs. I don't know how many years, and especially on offense. I mean, the oldest receiver is Christian Watson at 24, and he's hardly played because of injury. So they're all young. They're all kids. So especially if Dallas were to lose and, you know, the, these names out here that Jerry might be a little enamored with. But uh, I think Dallas ends up winning this one. I give Jordan Love some credit. He's been throwing dimes, you know, making some off-balance throws, you know, off-schedule plays. He's been protecting the football, which is extremely important here down the stretch. The fact that the Packers have been able to run the football, it seems like Aaron Jones has gotten healthy. In the last three games, they've been able to run the football. And it seems like their defense has risen from the dead. Joe Barry's group, I think the last two games, they've played really well. But they haven't played Dallas, okay? They haven't played that high-octane offense that is what? They're unbeaten at home, Lou. Yeah. This yeah. year, they're 8-0. and oh, I would give Green Bay a shot, you know, at Lambeau Field. But I certainly don't give them a shot here in Dallas. It's going to be loud. It's Jordan Love's first playoff game. I mean, with all due respect, you usually take a quarterback that has been there. And maybe he hasn't won, but he's been in a playoff atmosphere. The The team is young. They may be loose, but you look at that Dallas Cowboys offense, you look at those receivers, I, I just think they're going to dominate. And the fact that they can get after Jordan Love, and it's not only Micah Parsons, okay? There's a lot of guys out there that have put up some really good seasons. And I've even looked it up. Demarcus Lawrence, Dante Fowler, Dorrance Armstrong, Sam Williams. Those guys are putting up some good numbers as far as like hurries are concerned, as far as like tackles for loss and sacks. It's not only about one man show on defense, which the media always likes to talk about, about Michael Parsons. With all due respect, he's a great player, but it goes a lot deeper than that. So I think I take Dan Quinn's defense and that offense. I think they're going to cover that spread, Lou. I just... I think it's going to be too much. This isn't like playing a week 17, a week 18 game, a playoff game. It's a little bit different. And if you haven't been there, I think you're going to be shell-shocked. I get that Dak Prescott is only 2-4 and four in the playoffs. I realize that. He hasn't been great. But the fact is, they're playing at home and they've got an explosive offense to go along with the good defense. And that makes a lethal recipe for this game. I don't know what's going to happen in the future, but I think Dallas walks away and wins this game fairly easily at home. The irony is you talk about Micah Parsons. I think Dallas ended up with like five or six on the first team, all pros and Micah Parsons was not one of them. Think okay. about that for a second. <laughs> you know, I think Tyler Smith and uh, Zach Martin on the offensive line, uh, I believe CeeDee Lamb at receiver. Uh, I think Deron Bland was one of the corners. The kicker, Aubrey. 
Yeah, like, it's Brandon know, Aubrey. Yeah, Brandon Aubrey, a guy that came from the USFL, never played college football. I mean, the, the whole thing is just amazing is that he finally missed a kick, had one blocked. I mean, it was the same day, which was weird. But anyway, so so I think they ended up with, with five all pros and Micah Parsons didn't make it. But uh, I think T.J. Watt made it. Now, the players vote on that. Players tend to put more stock in that than they do the Pro Bowl selection. Uh, that was ironic, where it seems like their best player was the one that didn't make it. Matt Stafford going back to Detroit. Detroit's a slight favorite in the game. Only three, which kind of tells you a little something here. I think the betting crowd, if you would, I think this is kind of like a wise guy Rams play because in most people's minds, you got the better quarterback, the better coach, the better defense. Now, the Rams' defense is very much less heralded. Aaron Donald's one name that you know, but, you know, you got a defensive rookie of the year candidate. I mean, Kobe Young, is that the, the defensive tackle? Yes. A ton of sacks. You know, a bunch of guys that they've drafted over the last few years. They've hit on a lot of mid to late round picks. McVeigh. Arguably the best job he's done in his career. A lot of storylines, obviously. Jared Goff on the other side, famously kind of discard, kind of kind of a throw-in in the uh, Matt Stafford deal. And, oh, by the way, we'll pay most of the salary. And it's like, hey, we just want him out of here. A lot going on in this game. Uh, but in terms of Detroit, the health of Sam Laporta, again, another rookie that you know should be up for rookie of the year, but you got a couple of guys that just – completely balled out cj stroud and puka nakua but sam laporta in any other year has got to be you know got to be up for offensive rookie of the year and he may have been the all pro tight end even though again when you're talking about the prom and popularity travis kelsey was the even though it may have been one of his worst years i'm sure stafford gets a a warm response you know maybe at the beginning of the game you know maybe some cheers uh, I don't know if they're going to do like a tribute video for him before a playoff game. I don't think that's going to happen. But uh, he was very well regarded in Detroit. He wasn't like overt about demanding a trade, but I'm sure he certainly let them know that, hey, if you're starting this rebuilding thing you know, and you can make a deal, let's let's make this happen. All sorts of crazy storylines here and none smaller than I like I said the rookies on either side Laporta and Gibbs uh Young and Nakua on the other side and they're going to play huge parts in this game Laporta comes in a little dinged up so uh that could that could certainly impact the game for Detroit yeah he might not play even though the Lions are kind of being mum on it and Campbell is saying it's looking good he'll probably play but that's a huge weapon for the Lions the Lions don't get enough credit. I just feel like they don't get talked about enough. They've pulled off some big upsets on the road. They've had wins over the Saints, the Packers, the Bucks, the Chargers before all the injuries and before they collapsed. So I think getting going into this game, their offense, we know, can score. And it's a balanced offense, right? They can run the ball with Montgomery and Gibbs, and then they've got Jared Goff, you know, and in that passing attack, but they need Laporta there. They've got a good offensive line. I just don't trust their defense. I mean, you look at yourself in the mirror and you've struggled as like all season long. That secondary, especially, has struggled. And over the past month of the season, Aaron Glenn hasn't been able to get it right. And then you're facing the Kua 
and Cooper Cup. Matthew Stafford and Kyron Williams, who has just been on fire like since he's gotten back from his IR. The Rams are the hottest team, arguably, heading into the playoffs. They've got an explosive offense. I don't trust their defense either, but the truth is... They're like what six and one since Kyron Williams has returned. I believe that was the number. Yeah, he's like I think he's second second in the league in rushing. And then you factor in the fact that you know you still have Matthew Stafford and you still have Sean McVay, and they won a Super Bowl a couple of years back. And I look at Detroit's defense and the likes of Ceedee Lamb and Justin Jefferson have been able to do whatever they want through the air against the Lions. So I don't know what type of speech Dan Campbell needs to deliver to his team, especially that defense and that secondary. You know, he's going to have to light a fire under them. I'm going with the Rams here. I have to go with one upset, but I have to go with the lower seed upset, and this has to be it. I'm just going with the hot team. And I think the Rams, even though, again, a lot of people will argue that the Rams haven't beaten anybody, especially on the road. And they were embarrassed by, I think, Baltimore. Well, that was probably their best road game. You know, they went to overtime and then the the punt return walk-off. They ended up losing the game. You know, you're looking at one common opponent that when Detroit went to Baltimore, they got run out of the building. I feel like I'm going to go with the Los Angeles Rams here, even though my heart is pulling for the Lions. To win a playoff game because they haven't done that in a long, long time. Yeah, that would be and they're so here big. in the playoffs. My head says the Rams, and I'm going with Los Angeles. That was so big. And being from this from this area, three teams, for, I think for the first time in history, from the shores of Lake Erie, Buffalo, Cleveland, and Detroit have all made the playoffs. And I think it's the only time it's ever happened. So uh, shout out to this region and the long-suffering fans. I think I'm going to go with the Rams, too, if you didn't couldn't tell from my opening rant. Again, quarterback, coach, and again, nothing against Dan Campbell. I just think Sean McVay has got that team. He figured out you know, how they're going to play, how they're going to win, They've come up with a formula, and it's just it's working real well for them right now. Uh, so speaking of the shores of Lake Erie, Cleveland in Houston, they're favored in the game. Houston comes in with a, a rookie quarterback who looks anything but, just looks like a veteran. Now, granted, like you said, Alex, I agree with you. You know, the playoffs are completely different. He is playing at home, so that's going to be a little bit different. Uh, he's been without one of his best weapons and fellow rookie Tank Dell for the last six weeks. He's been out for a while. But they seem to have all their other weapons back, and Nico Collins has become a revelation as well. What do you think? I mean, can D'Amico Ryans kind of craft something together here? Because Cleveland comes in with just a, an awesome defense. You got a highly experienced playoff quarterback that wasn't even with the team uh, in camp four weeks into the season, six weeks into the season, eight weeks into this was not on the roster. And he's got them in the playoffs playing loose the entire offense. I think the entire team rallies around him because in their eyes, he's a made guy and he really is. I mean, playoff MVP, uh, won a Super Bowl. Just hard for me because the proximity to Cleveland, how awful it's been forever, it seems like. And 
the story is great. I love Joe Flacco. I just this is a tough game for me to pick. You're gonna have to convince me one way or the other. I'm not sure which way to go. This is like a Hollywood story. You know, Hollywood is going to make a movie about this in about 10 years. You Joe know this. Flacco. I mean, the fact that the, the only difference is in Hollywood, he's going to come off the couch and win a Super Bowl, right? I'm not yeah. sure Cleveland well, hey, wins a Super Bowl as much as hey, I would love one, that. One, st- one step at a time, Alex. This is your team. This is, <laughs> I mean, sometimes it feels like you're more of a Cleveland fan than you are a Niners fan. That's absolutely true, by the way. I pull for the underdogs. I don't trust rookie quarterbacks in the playoffs. As great as C.J. Stroud has been, I just don't trust him. I think D'Amico Ryans will keep this close, but when it comes down to this, defense wins championships, and defense wins playoff games. And there hasn't been anyone better this season. Cleveland has got the best defense by far. I mean, their secondary is amazing. The fact that they've, they've dominated almost anybody. They've limited almost everybody out there. We talk about Miles Garrett, but there's another linebacker there. I love his name, Jeremiah Wusu Karamoa. He's also been a, a revelation this J-O-K. year. J-O-K, sure. Yeah, he's had a lot of tackles for loss this year, and he's been playing second fiddle to Miles Garrett here. I think Joe Flacco's biggest problem has always been turnovers, always. But he's 10-5 and in the playoffs, slow. They're facing a rookie quarterback. I feel like they're rested. All right, they've had like 16 days to rest here up until this, you know, playoff game. Even though it's on the road, and Cleveland has played really well at home and has been iffy on the road, I just think they get it done against the Texans. The Texans are lucky to be here. They've had a great season. I had the Texans winning one or two games this year. And they've certainly surpassed those expectations and got into the playoffs. They deserve all the hoopla. But I just don't think C.J. Stroud is going to be able to make those plays against that tough defense. And even though we're not in Cleveland, we're at home in Houston, I just that's a really tough order. And I'm going to go with Joe Flacco and that Cleveland's defense in a tight game. That's probably the wise choice, right? But nobody ever says, nobody ever <laughs> accused me of being wise. I still don't know. I'm gonna have to wait till the end when I when I do the picks. Um, I, I know yeah. which way you're going. I mean, if, if well, you said it, you've I, already made I, up your mind. Once the season got going, I mean, there were. I don't want to say every week, but there was a lot of weeks that I was I was picking Houston, and it seemed like I don't know. I just kind of fell in love with the team, the story. I like the Browns and story too. And like I said, I'm. For, near you know kind of in the proximity i am also on the shores of lake erie but in a different uh, state pennsylvania but uh we're close enough so let me circle back to that one as they say um, the guy I, who lives so close by yeah. can't pick cleveland a my guy entire who lives- life i've gone against the local teams i mean i i, I, I cheer for the chiefs for 50 50- some you know no ties so to missouri or whatever lou, lou i'm so far away Pitch, removed Pitts, from Pitts, cleveland Pittsburgh. cleveland cannot deal with them buffalo cannot deal with them. just like a bias against the bias. i don't know they talk about the the weather in kansas city in our neck of the woods here i'm about 
uh, 90 miles from Orchard Park where the Bills play. I'm about 90 miles away from where Cleveland plays, and I'm about 100 miles away from Pittsburgh, kind of like right in the hub of those three. But they are in Buffalo. Uh, it's supposedly forecast is getting uglier by the day going to be cold going to be very windy so again that kind of limits you know the, the explosive plays i think again now you might see some big returns you might see some big defensive scores but offensively i think the game plan is going to shrink for both coach i'm pretty sure i mean you got a couple of guys this may be the first playoff match where coaches that both went to and played for William and Mary will face each other. I don't know if they were there at the same time, McDermott and Tomlin, but they were there and I am pretty sure they were, they were there at the same time, but anyway, Steelers are a 10 point underdog, no TJ Watt. Mason Rudolph has started the last few games. He's starting this game. Najee Harris has seemed to have had a awakening a few weeks ago. And I don't know if it has anything to do with Mason Rudolph, with the change in offensive coordinator, whatever they're doing, it seems to be working for the Steelers because Jalen Warren is still running like a beast and is seems to have a little bit more juice than Najee, but Najee is still trucking people. So the Steelers are going to obviously going to try to make this a grimy in the dirt we're, you know, playing a phone booth type thing and we're just going to go toe to toe and see who the, who the best man is. And in most cases, it's going to be Josh Allen because of more so his running ability and the fact that he's doing it like on a scramble where it's tough to defend that. So I think those are where the big plays are going to come from the Bills. Cook's been running hard and I think they, you know, they've played a little bit better. They also made a change in offensive coordinator and changed kind of the way they play. And they've been playing a little bit better. It's just so hard. You watch the game against Miami and a game that you think Buffalo should have dominated with all the injuries that the Dolphins had and just the way the game was going. But, you know, they get a touchdown on that tipped ball that was like goes. 25 feet in the air and Sherfield, former dolphin had to like toe drag it in the back of the end. That was one of their touchdowns. Another one was the, a 95 yard punt return, which you think is nuts. Who's fielding a punt inside the 10, but Hey, he did made the play. God bless him. You know, Josh Allen made enough plays and that's what I think is going to have to happen in this game. Steelers are awful when TJ Watt doesn't play and it's a 10 point spot. It would be really easy to take Buffalo in this game just to say Steelers just aren't going to be able to get it done. But I think I might have to go with the points here. And I think the weather will factor into it. The wind hard to pass should be just an ugly close game. I think I agree with you as far as taking the points here with the Steelers. But as far as winning the the game, it's going to be the Bills. I mean, during that five-game winning streak that they've had, they've beaten playoff teams, the Chiefs, the Cowboys, and the Dolphins. They usually, like, rose to the occasion against a better team. When they played an average team, 
they, like the Steelers. You know, yeah, they didn't. <laughs> this is a playoff game. It's a little bit different. I get it. You know, you, I it's, get a, it yeah. it's a one game mentality. I basically. understand. But what I'm saying is against better teams, they have played well this season, especially in that five game winning streak that they've had. I'm going to go with them. I think their defense has improved during that winning streak. Their secondary is excellent. I mean, it has been the past five weeks. I agree with you that the weather will factor in, but I just don't understand how the Steelers will win this game. Like, you don't have TJ Watt. You have Mason Rudolph as your quarterback. Are you kidding me? I know he was great down the stretch here in the past couple of games, and he is a major reason why they're in the playoffs, okay? And he was really efficient in that last game. I, I think he completed like 15 or 16 passes straight or something like that. And yeah, I'm 18, sure... 18 for 20. <laughs> I'm sure Kenny I, I Pickett... I'm sure Kenny that. Pickett is sweating this. I mean, obviously there's going to be a quarterback competition. But the Buffalo Bills, it hasn't been just a Josh Allen show, okay? They've ran the football better with James Cook. Their defense has played better over that stretch when... You know, they were six and six, and they've won what five straight games yes. in order to get this number two seed. I think I'll take the points with the Steelers, but if we're taking who wins the game, I'm taking right. Buffalo at home, regardless of the weather. I think the only way Pittsburgh wins this game is with, you know, one or two of those explosives going their way, like a return on uh, on a punt or like a defensive touchdown thrown in there and the weather makes it difficult to to pass the ball if you recall i think it, a couple years ago when the patriots went up there and it was really windy and really cold in buffalo and i think mac jones threw like three passes the whole game and somehow they won that it kind of w would be the recipe it was just to run the ball punt when you have to don't take any and just kind of you know, just muck up the game and make, make it ugly. Diggs has been kind of a ghost during this. I don't know if he's hurt. Even when they he did have a chance to hit him downfield against the Dolphins, they weren't on the same page and uh, Josh missed them by by a lot. So I don't know what's going on because, yes, they do, did beat those playoff teams. But then again, against New England and the Chargers, maybe, you know, the circumstances came up where you know they were really weren't up for the games but again they they struggled a little bit they didn't exactly overwhelm miami when they when they probably should have or they could very well have lost that game too with all the the depletion on on miami side so i i don't know what you're going to get here but again double digits it is a playoff game it is going to be inclement weather Maybe it's just too easy to take the points, but I just the Steelers just do bite me in the ass too many times. And so I'm going to take I'm going to take the 10 as well. Last game on the board. Supposedly, it's going to be, I don't know, single digits, minus degrees in, in Kansas City. The polar vortex hitting hitting the United States uh, over the weekend. And uh, you got the team from South Beach showing up in this mess. Uh, Tyreek, previous opportunity, was in Germany to play the Chiefs. So now he gets to come back to Arrowhead. So you got a little bit of a storyline there. The Chiefs haven't really impressed anybody offensively for the entire season. We've been waiting all year for them to kind of get things right. Uh, they haven't. 
this number open to Kansas City minus one and a half. It's up to four and a half, which you typically don't see that big of a move in a playoff game. But because of the injuries with Miami, uh, they're signing Justin Houston, another former chief off the street. Uh, Melvin Ingram did a stint with the Chiefs, uh, helped them win a Super Bowl. Uh, Emmanuel Ogba, former chief. So these are their, their three edge rushers for the game. And uh, Miami's missing a ton of players, defensive backs, linebackers. They, they lost Van Ginkle last week. So it just looks really bleak for them. But again, you're looking at the, these conditions. Is it going to be windy? Is it just cold? If it's just cold, I think, you know, it, it's not awful. Uh, field conditions will be good. It's I think it's there's like a heating system under the field. That should be OK. All right. Uh, if there's no precipitation, again, that helps. It's the wind. That's the killer. And you kind of feel like Tua's arm strength isn't quite what it should be, especially in those conditions. And will he be able to cut it loose? Will they be able to get deep shots? Uh, the Chiefs did a really good job of bottling up the quick passing game when they played in Germany. You know, Spags will have something cooked up you know, in terms of a, a game plan against these guys. But same token, Miami didn't have uh, Devin A. Chain for that game. This game, they won't have Waddle. Tyreek is a little nicked up. So, I mean, there's a lot of things going against Miami, which scares the hell out of me here. And especially with all the money coming in on the Chiefs, that really scares me. I might be tempted to take the points here. And, you know, maybe the Chiefs win by a field goal. I would take Bucker in this case because he's used to kicking in conditions. So I think maybe that's what it comes down to. But again, I'll have to give you my final thoughts on the point spread in a bit. Tua stinks in cold weather. All right. I mean, that's what it comes down to. And then you've got Jalen Waddell and Mostert. They're injured. The, They're probably going to play. Real, low. real quick about the, about the cold. Yeah. All the metrics are at 45 degrees or less. This is going to be like at zero. So just take that into a, into account. Too many injuries for Miami. I mean, they've, they've been missing Jalen Phillips for a while. Bradley Chubb goes down. Tyreek is not 100%, but he's obviously going to go. I just, Miami is too banged up. If they were in South Beach, this would be a different story. Their offense would be high kicking, and I would be picking them against the Chiefs, okay? But you're playing in cold weather. The Chiefs' defense has been impressive all year long, and that secondary played really well against Miami, like you said, in Germany. They were able to bottle up those explosive plays. Miami has collapsed here, okay? They've collapsed down the stretch. They've really, they, they had a comfortable lead. They could have had a home field advantage, especially in the first round. And now they're playing on the road in Kansas City. That, that's the worst thing that you can do. Patrick Mahomes is 11-3 and in the postseason, 9-2 and at Arrowhead. I just can't imagine how Andy Reid and Mahomes lose this game, even though their offense hasn't been good. But I anticipate that Travis Kelsey is going to come out and he's going to score a couple of touchdowns. And I think Spag's defense is going to rise to the to the challenge and and show what they can do. So I'm, I'm taking the Chiefs here, and I'm I'm actually taking the points. I think they cover by like a touchdown. Low. All right, Alex, you heard here first, gang. He is on the Chiefs, and uh, 
hey, if you want to want to listen to a lot more uh, Chiefs nonsense and uh, just a, a, a hell of a good time, four guys, we, we do a show called Four Guys in a Bar on YouTube at Chiefs Blitz, all one word. Go ahead and uh, tune in, and it's uh, it's a lot of fun. Four guys just kind of uh, shooting the crap about uh, the Chiefs and uh, all kinds of craziness. Uh, in I'm glad that I don't have to hear this Chiefs talk here on, on pros <laughs> like us anymore. Well, I have to save kind of all the good it. stuff, you know, three, for that. You know, three times three times a week I do that. I I kind of like unload all my I'm all glad. my stuff, I'm and glad. I want to save you, Alex. That's uh, I you know I I value our friendship. I value our, our partnership here on pros like us. So I don't want to kill that by constantly bringing up the chiefs. And Lou has been uh, one hardworking man lately. You know, he's been pulling double duty on both shows and he's continuing to do the show with me. So I appreciate it, Lou. I, I really do. I, I know that you love talking about the chiefs that it brings you great pleasure and, uh, you know, you, you can do it once in a while, just not every show. <laughs> okay. I'm going to pick all six games, which is really against my character here. Typically, you know, like every week I'll pick out four or five games, which, oh, by the way, last week, four and one. Kind of got it kind of back on a roll. You know, week 18, a lot of nuttiness happening on, uh, on the field. But we had Detroit, uh, the cover over Minnesota, Arizona, lost close. But they were getting three points. Uh, loss with the Bears. I don't know what. Seriously, I don't know what the hell's going on with that team. But had Buffalo minus three over the Dolphins, and then of course uh, the Chiefs were getting points against the Chargers. They won straight up. So come in with a, a little bit of a roll. We're struggling there near the end of the year. Thirty-one and thirty-three so far. So maybe we can get over five hundred here. Okay, so. I am going to take uh, on brand. Take Houston plus two and a half. I'm going to take the Chiefs minus four and a half, even though I just told you to take the points. Alex convinced me otherwise. Uh, I'm going to take the, the, the Steelers with the points plus 10. Something sneaky about the Packers, but I'm just not feeling it. I'm going to take Dallas here minus seven and a half. Uh, I'm going to take the Rams. I think they win straight out. I really want Detroit to win, but I just have a just – Stafford, the whole thing. I just, I just feel the Rams there. And then I think I might do an about face here because I don't have enough underdogs. Uh, I'm going to stick with the dogs. I think you talked me into it. I think I'm going to go with Tampa and it'll be utter chaos in Philadelphia. You know what the media is like there and talk radio and everything. That city will explode and I'm here for the chaos and they'll be calling for Sirianni's head, which, again, you never want to see somebody lose their job. But, uh, hell, they get paid millions of dollars. They deserve this kind of scrutiny. So I'm cheering for chaos in that one. Monday night, Tampa Bay plus three. So there you have it, Alex. Lou, I'm going to do something that I have never done before. But I think uh, it will be oh. a, a fun little you know, challenge here in the playoffs. I'm also going to take every game in the playoffs, Lou, and I'm going to have this little you know, thing go. going with you. All right? Write this down, Lou. Write this down. So now I am compelled to remind everyone that the lock of the week was Indy last week for you. And I swear to God, Shane Steichen calls the perfect play. Maybe it was the pass wasn't completely on target. 
but they should have won that game. <laughs> they really should have. That hurts. You know why that hurts? Because your best player, Jonathan Taylor, is sitting on the sideline. I don't get it, Lou. I didn't like, listen to the presser afterwards. I would imagine somebody had to ask about that. I know he had gotten hurt, but then came back in the game, and I think he had run the ball the previous down. Right. And then and they even kinda, if he's a decoy, Lou, you, you want to have your best player out right. there. Well, I mean, the, however they schemed it up, it was going to be the back slipping out of the backfield to get it. Maybe they just weren't comfortable with his health. The thing that, that kind of irritated me was trying to draw them offside from the shotgun. It was fourth down. They ended up then they ended up using a timeout, which afterwards really messed them up because they couldn't stop the clock three times. They could only stop it twice. So you kind of do a half-ass try to, I just don't like them trying to draw people off sides from the shotgun. It rarely works. Uh, it rarely works when you're behind center, but I think you got a much better chance at it. So end of my rant, go on, pick the games. I'm taking the Browns over the Texans. My, you know, what is a minus two and a half yes. on the road? I'm taking the Chiefs minus four and a half at home over the yes. Dolphins. Yep. I'm taking the Steelers plus 10 uh, to cover that spread. All the right. Bills will win the game. I just think that uh, Pittsburgh will cover. I'll take the Cowboys at home to cover minus seven and a half. I'll take the Rams. Like I said, I need to go with the underdog here. I'm taking them plus three against the Lions. And then I'm going with the Bucks plus three at home. All right, so surprise, surprise. The only game we differ is you betting with your heart and Cleveland. Uh, yeah, it's not <laughs> betting with my heart. It's betting with my head and my heart, okay? I just – right. How can you take okay. a rookie quarterback, Lou? How can hey, you take he does a it. rookie does he look quarterback? Like, does he look like a rookie quarterback to you? He had – I don't have all the stats in front of me, but, but I know at one point, and I think since he came back – most yards, touchdown. I mean, he. there was three guys. I think it was like him, Kurt Warner. I mean, like the biggest games names in the game, and he was up there with him. Maybe Marino. Now, I'm sure Marino's rookie year was a little bit bigger, but you know, But he was up there. You can't call him a rookie anymore. Not the way he's playing. So, But I, I hear you. Yeah. My analytics table that I've got out here on my oh, computer, the numbers okay. that I've punched in there here tells we me go. that he is a rookie quarterback ever since Tank Dell went down, okay? The Houston Texans offense hasn't been the same, especially that passing offense. So whatever it was in the first half of the season, they're a little bit different in the second half of the season. So, And he hasn't faced the Browns defense and that's secondary I don't know who's gonna beat that secondary Nico Collins Case Keenum started the game when they play didn't they play earlier this year I believe they did I believe and I think did. it was in Houston and uh I think the Browns won was that the game where Amari Cooper went off for like 265 yards C.J. Stroud didn't play against them he was hurt I'm looking it up out here it was Christmas Eve 36-22. It was right. a road win over the Texans. And didn't Coop, Stroud didn't did Coop, not play. Cooper had some ridiculous, like 265 yards or something. I mean, yeah, he set ridiculous. a record. You're right. Yeah. You're right. He set Brown's a record, record that day. And yeah, it was Flacco, but I'm just saying, no, the starter for uh, Houston was Case Keenum. All right, gang, that's going to do it. So uh, thanks to our guest, Lane Hatcher, quarterback, Ball State, and also uh, did a year at Alabama. So it would be interesting 
uh, for you guys to um, check in with him, see how he's doing. So for my pal Alex Kavtoff, I'm Lou. Uh, happy Super Wildcard Weekend. Don't forget to subscribe to the show. Don't miss another episode. And, and as always, peace.